Hello, friends. Welcome to Emmanuel Cares, Casting Nets, and Raised with Jesus podcast. Yes, three podcasts hosting the same content, wonderful content, as we are looking through the book of Job together in an online way. You don't need a Bible sheet of any kind. Just sit back, listen to me read from the Evangelical Heritage Version, and discover together how we can find peace through life's unpredictable paths. Job is a book of suffering. It is a book of wrestling with God. It is a book of comfort from God. And so I am excited to go over this Bible class with you. The book of Job, you can find it in your Bible. We're going to be using the EHV translation. We'll have the translation on the screen. Uh, You can use your own Bible as well. The book of Job, the setting of the book of Job, most likely... We don't know for sure, but most likely it's the time of the patriarchs. That means the time of Abraham, the time of Isaac, um, before Moses, before Mount Sinai, before God telling God's people there's only one place that they can worship because Job makes offerings uh, on behalf of his family, and you can't do that after Mount Sinai because God says, no, one spot to do the offerings so and the, the sacrifices. So that is one indication that it might be of the time of the patriarchs, or it is um, another reason why it's it's uh, the time of the patriarch is his age. Most likely he's 180 to 200 years old by the time he's done here on earth, um, and people didn't live that long during the time of later on. They did live that long after the time of Noah. They lived longer before Noah, as you recall, but after Noah, their uh, age spans was longer than today, but uh, progressively getting shorter. So he's got to be living in a time when 200 years old is considered the norm. Who wrote the book of Job is also an interesting question that we don't have a firm answer to. So it could be Job himself. It could be um, a different writer. Some have said, well, this is this sounds like wisdom literature, so maybe the time of Solomon that he wrote it. And um, I, I can't, we can't refute that unless, unless the person is going to say that the book of Job is a fairy tale, that the book of Job is a play that didn't happen to real people. And the reason why we say it's, Job is a real person is because Ezekiel and James mentions Job as a real person. They describe him with two other people, like these are real people. So if, this, if the scripture is interpreting itself, that's the one way that it helps us and says, Job was a real person. Now, the book of Job is structured in a way where it's not exact quotes. I mean, the uh, the three friends and the fourth friend speak in poetry to Job. It's unlikely they spoke in poems to Job, that's unlikely. Um, it's more unlikely that the, the artist or the author took some artistic license in framing what they said to Job and making it artistic, making it a poem. It is a really good poem. And the way that it's structured, um, it's, it's beautiful. It also has some interesting imagery that's hard to get out of our heads, bold imagery, imagery that's sometimes hard for us to translate. Uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, today as well. Why do you want to read this book? And I'll go back to my logo because 
an unpredictable path, the way the ups and downs of life. How can we find peace in the midst of our sufferings or in the sufferings of others? What kind of comfort can we give others? Lots of good gems from the book of Job. So let's get into the text. Um, Job is considered to be blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. This doesn't mean that he was perfect or or sinless. In fact, the word for blameless has that idea of completeness, uh, that he was the total package, that he wasn't just a Christian on Sunday, a, a scoundrel in the workplace, and a devil in the relationships. Uh, he was the total package. He was someone who actually did uh, walk the walk and talk the talk. So blameless would be a total package. He was a Christian in every respect of his life. Uh, he himself claimed that he was a sinner in various chapters, cha- um, chapter 6, verse 24, and 7, verse 21, and 42, verse 6. He claims that, you know, he ma- confesses his sins, um, so that doesn't mean that he is perfect. He is blameless. Uh, he's got the total package. So let's read verses 1 to 5. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright, a man who feared God and turned away from evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions included 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys. He also had a very large retinue of servants. This man was the greatest of all the men of the east. His sons would regularly arrange feasts, each one with his own house on his assigned day and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When the days of the feast were complete, Job would send for them and consecrate them. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them. Job would say, Perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Job did this regularly. So what are some things that strike you in this chapters 1 to 5? He's very wealthy. Lots of children. Uh, his children seem to be adults. And they seem to enjoy one another's company. And that's a rare thing these days when siblings enjoy one another's company. And we also show that Job has an awareness of human nature. Uh, how he makes sacrifices for his children in verse 5. He understands that they're sinners. Uh, he is pleading for them. He is concerned not just for their physical welfare, but their spiritual welfare as well. So it gives us an indication of here's the setting, here's the job, here's here's a man who fears God, who is the total package. Uh, he is a Christian, he raised his children as best he could, and now he continues to pray for them, uh, not in a way that, in a helicopter parent way, but in a way that of a, an adult parent who wants what is best for his children and is looking out for them. So that's Job. Job's thoughts begin, uh, begin, I'm sorry, Job's troubles begin because of a false accusation against him which Satan brings before God. The devil claims that the only reason men fear and serve God is fear and punishment and hope for reward. He argues that men and women like Job don't really care about God at all, just about themselves. Let's read about that in verse 6. There came a day when the sons of men came to present uh, sons of God, I should say. Sons of God, that's another word for angels. Sometimes that's used for believers, but here we know it's angels just because of the most important player that's coming on here. 
The sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came into their midst. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming the earth and walking around in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth, a man who is blameless and upright, who fears God and turns away from evil. Satan answered the Lord, It is without cause that Job fears God. You have put a protective hedge around him and his household and everything that belongs to him, haven't you? You have blessed the work of his hands. His livestock has spread throughout the land, but just stretch forth your hand and strike everything that is his, and he will certainly curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, Very well, then, everything that he has is in your hand, but you may not stretch your hand against the man himself. So Satan left the presence of the Lord. One day when the Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the house of their oldest brother, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the female donkeys were grazing nearby. When the Sabaeans swooped down and took them away, they put the servants to death with the sword. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another servant came to him and said, The fire of God fell from sky and burned up the flocks and the servants and consumed them. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another servant came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and plundered the camels and took them away. They put the servants to death with the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another servant came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the house of their oldest brother. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and collapsed on the young people, and they died. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Then Job stood up, tore his robe, and then shaved his head. He fell to the ground and worshipped. Then he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be blessed. In all this, Job did not sin or blame God. Just got to take a moment there. You say, your best day, or your worst day, I should say, is never one of these. Where on the same day, all of these reports, your children die, your um, property is destroyed, you lose all of those animals. A bad day. And uh, Job's response, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Wow. Job's response uh, to the terrible grief and awful catastrophes disprove, how did uh, Job's response to the terrible grief and awful catastrophes disprove Satan's accusation against all believers? So Satan's accusation was, God, these people only believe in you because you bless them. They only believe in you because you do all these great things for them. If you were to stop doing that, then they're not going to believe you. Of course. <laughs> uh, God says, no, they believe because of the work of the Holy Spirit working in through means, through the word, and take any, everything away, and they will still believe. And that is true for Job. He loses, has such a great loss, and yet he still says, naked I have come into this world, naked I leave. May the name of the Lord be blessed. He doesn't curse God. 
blesses God. He understands that everything he has is by grace. That's a good lesson for all of us to learn. Sometimes we start thinking about what is our right to have. Um, God, I, I don't deserve to be treated this way. And then you are reminded, no, <laughs> right? Everything you have is a gift from God. Everything is because of his grace. Yeah, comment below. Maybe you can think of other occasions that people would need to know that they have, everything they have is from grace and not because they've earned it. All right. Job's second test. Satan's first attempt at a, at, uh, to prove his accusation against Job had failed. Next, he claimed Job's allegiance had only been because God had not permitted Satan to harm Job personally. As though the death of all of his children meant nothing to Job, right? Satan argues that the reason that Job praised God was because he was relieved that he himself did not die. So Satan is that uh, great accuser. We have different names for the devil throughout the Bible, but Satan means accuser. So here, and I really didn't talk about this, so I'm going to back up a little bit before we get to chapter 2. But this conversation between God and Satan demonstrates what Satan oftentimes does. He is the accuser. He points the finger at us. Sometimes he says, hey, you're a terrible human being. You don't deserve to live because of the things you have done. And he also accuses God, so he blames God. When um, when the angels are arrive at that council, that heavenly council, and then uh, the devil is there, I think it's interesting that God says, "Satan, where have you been?" And part of me wants to think that that was a little bit of a dig at Satan, a little bit of God heaping some more hell on Satan, reminding Satan what happened in the garden that God had said that, Satan, you're going to be crawling on the on the earth all the days of your life, that you're going to have such a meager existence now. You are, you're uh, um, not just for snakes, but for the devil himself, that he would, he would be crushed, and his existence would be hell, even if he's here on earth, because he doesn't have God providing for him, taking care of him. God is keeping him on a leash, that's for sure. Uh, the Satan can't go beyond what God has allowed. But at the same time, you don't have God, you know, giving Satan anything. God isn't providing anything for Satan. God isn't doing anything that would express God's love for Satan. So even when Satan arrives and, and, uh, Pastor Rose had mentioned it, you know, you have this heavenly counseling, council getting together and then Satan arrives. He's no longer welcome, really. He's the, he's an outsider. It's amazing that he's there and it's, blows our mind that he is actually there. Like, um, we don't have some answers, satisfactory answers. Why can the devil be up in heaven? What does that mean? Uh, we're peering into some things we don't have all the answers to. But it is something how God distinguishes and the writer to the, of this book distinguishes between the angels and Satan. Satan is, as uh, Job has right, Jude has talking to us about how Satan used to have a position of authority but lost it. He doesn't have any kind of authority, no kind of influence there. He is uh, in a direct relationship with God, and then God provokes him even more. He says, uh, have you considered my servant Job? My servant Job, 
does not dishonor me. My servant Job doesn't uh, knife me in the back like you did, Satan. Right? Just that whole idea of just reminding Satan what he had and what he gave up. Isn't that, that's going to be hell for a lot of people, isn't it? A lot of people are going to be sitting there in hell going, I had it all and I threw it away. Um, and that's part of the punishment of hell is that reminder God of God's grace, how you had this opportunity, but you did not use it. Okay. So now let's go to chapter two. Another day arrived when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came into their midst. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming the earth and walking around in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth, man who is blameless and upright, who fears God and turns away from evil. And he still maintains his integrity, even though you incited me against him to destroy him for no reason. Satan answered the Lord, Skin for skin! A man will give all that he has for his life, but stretch forth your hand and strike his bones and flesh, and he will certainly curse you to his face, to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well. Then he is your, in your hand, but preserve his life. Satan then went out from the presence of the Lord. He struck Job with very painful sores from the sole of his foot to the top of his head. So Job took a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself as he was sitting among the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Then he said to her, You are talking like a woman who lacks moral judgment. If we accept the good that comes from God, shouldn't we also accept the bad? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. All right, what do you want to talk about there, huh? Uh, the, the terrible diseases that he had. Can you just imagine that? Some sort of leprosy, perhaps. Maybe something more on top of it. Um, but so much pain that he would scrape, scrape his skin with a, a piece of pottery. I think of sometimes we think of, uh, when we're in pain, we'll probably inflict pain somewhere else in our body. And that makes us feel a little bit better. Because then we're not thinking about the pain that's bothering us. We're thinking about a new kind of pain. Or maybe we just think about if you just have a different kind of sensation than the sensation that you're facing, then um, it, maybe it feels better. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what it's like to be in that kind of agony. So uh, this happens to him. Why do you think that God permitted Satan to add personal suffering to the loss and grief that Job already felt? That's a good question. You could say God knew that he could handle it. God knew that uh, it's a matter faith isn't a matter of outward um, blessings. Faith is a matter of what's the Holy Spirit working in that person's heart. So uh, take they our life, goods, fame, child and life. Let these all be gone. We still have our mighty fortress, our God and our Savior, perhaps. Um, but it is just still jarring just to think, if you don't have your own health, if it is difficult to live from day to day, 
it just messes everything up, doesn't it? You've ever been in a weakened state like that where uh, every you you could probably handle the stress if you were okay, but now that you've you're you're in a weakened state while things aren't going so well internally and physically in health and in your health, then you just can't um, just can't handle it. Your 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 walls break down. Um, Job's wife. You know, she lost seven children and three, or ten children as well, seven seven sons and three daughters. Um, let's not discount that. And now she's looking at her husband who can't function. He's sitting there and, and, uh, so what she's telling to Job is just give up on God. Curse God and die. Uh, stop, stop blessing him. Stop praising God. Just give up on your relationship with God and then, um, not necessarily, I suppose you could say give up your own life or it's a suicide type of comment, but, uh, best construction on her words is just to say, uh, uh, just end it all. I mean, it's, you're, you're gonna die soon. Don't hang on anymore. You're done. Quit. I suppose suicide is quitting on life as well. But his answer is uh, very patient and shows his total package. You're speaking like a foolish woman. Not a foolish woman. He doesn't call her a foolish woman. He's saying you're speaking like a foolish woman. That like a foolish woman is a good a good clarification on it, right? Um, <laughs> eliminates uh, any accusations of that of name calling, but he has a wonderful statement of of faith. Are we going to accept just the good things that come from the Lord and not the bad? And again, Satan makes it look like the stuff is coming from the Lord, but it's not. Um, he's going to send down fire from heaven and winds, even though it's it's supernatural. Yes, but it's not from the Lord. The Lord allows it, but not the Lord wills it, that he wanted this to happen. That's chapter 2. Now we will look at, just one more picture of that one, look at chapter 3 is Job's lament. So, uh, And his friends come to visit. Oh, I'm sorry. His friends have to come and visit, don't they? So let's look at verses 11 to 13. Three friends of Job heard about all of his adversity that had come upon him, and each of them came from his own homeland, Eliaphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Nahamathite. I can't read. It's a kind of small. Nahamathite. They met together and went to sympathize with Job and comfort him. When they caught sight of Job from a distance, they did not recognize him. They raised their voices and wept. Each man tore his robe and tossed it into the tossed dust into the air and onto his head. They sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, but no one spoke a word to him because they saw that his suffering was very great. Again, uh, you would see that on a man, a man who normally was very healthy, um, and you see the agony, whatever. Um, one of the comments that we had talked about in Bible class this afternoon was 
is the way that we grieve is different than people in the Middle East. Sometimes when we look at how the Middle Eastern people grieve or the Asian people grieve, when we would say um, Asian people sometimes do it too, where it's really loud and uh, very emotional right on the surface. And of course, we're, some of us are Germans. We don't show our emotions. Um, so for us to see somebody express themselves this way might make us feel uncomfortable, but they're grieving. They're, they're, they're doing what is culturally appropriate at the time to signify that they are understanding what he's going through and that they are there for him to give him words of comfort. Now, again, they stay there for seven days. So, uh, why do they wait with those words of comfort? Maybe they were, um, an, an expression of solidarity. We think sometimes when we are in our down, worst moments, um, having somebody just with us, don't say anything, just with us. Maybe that is a, a good thing. Uh, when we are, um, at uh, a wake or at a funeral, just good to have people with us during those times. Yeah. Uh, can we read too much into the, the three friends? Was this a good thing or what was it not a good thing? We know that as soon as they open their mouths, then it all goes downhill. Then it's, then they, no comfort whatsoever. However, if we give them this, maybe we'll just give them this, that they were at least there for Job and they didn't just presume to talk to him right away. Um, now we get to uh, Job's first lament. That's chapter three. So they're there with him for seven days, and then nobody speaks. Now Job speaks. And this gives us a clue as to what's going on in his heart spiritually. Yes, he has given a wonderful confession. May the name of the Lord be praised. But now he's sitting with this for seven days. He's scratching his skin for seven days. He's dealing with the pain for seven days. What does that do to a person? Job does an interesting thing. His whole lament focuses on the day of his birth. If this loss of children, possessions, and health was his destiny, then he wishes that he had never been born. Let's read it. Job opened his lips and cursed the day of his birth. Job said, May the day of my birth perish, and the night which it was said a child has been conceived, as for that day let it be darkness. May the God above have no concern for it. May light not shine on it. May darkness and the shadow of death reclaim it. May the dark cloud settle over it. May whatever blackens this day terrify it. As for the night, may, may deep darkness take it away. May it not be included among the days of the year or show up in the list of months. Oh, let that be, that that night be barren. May no joyful shout be heard on it. May those who curse days cast a spell on it. Those who are able to awaken Leviathan, Leviathan is the closest thing we've got to dinosaurs in the Bible. The word dinosaur wasn't invented yet when the Bible was written or when the Hebrew was written or the, the Greek was written. So Leviathan could be a real creature, could be a fake creature. Uh, and anyway, Job is uh, speaking in uh, a poetry and form, right? He is not speaking, this is not verbatim, but 
poetry. Anyway, so I would, I personally, you know, personally think he's talking about dinosaurs because we don't really know what the dinosaurs were like. We have the bones, but we don't know what they're like. And their descriptions of them remind us of a, a creature that's not like anything here on Earth that remains. And it could be possible if these creatures had these abilities that we talk about in, in Job chapter 41 and following, uh, if those creatures were around, I don't think humanity would want them around uh, just because of how they're described. Anyway, may its twilight stars be darkened. May it, may it wait hopefully for light but receive none. May it never see the eyelids of dawn because it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb and it did not hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth or pass away as I came from the womb? Why did my mother's knees receive me? Why were her breasts there to nurse me? For then I would be lying down peacefully. I would be sleeping and resting quietly with the kings and counselors of the earth, with those who rebuild ruined cities for themselves, with high officials who accumulated gold, with those who filled their houses with silver. Why, why was I not hidden like a stillborn child, like the infants who never see the light of day? where the wicked cease from turmoil, where the weary are at rest. There the prisoners are at ease together. There they no longer hear the voice of the slave driver. There the small and great are alike. And the slave is free from his master. Why is light given to those weighed down with grief? Why is life given to those whose spirit is bitter, to those whose years for death, but it does not come, who yearn for death, but it does not come, though they dig for it more than for buried treasure, to those who will be thrilled with happiness, to those who will celebrate when those who will celebrate when they reach the grave. Why is light given to a man whose path is hidden, to one whom God has hedged in? Now my sighing takes the place of my daily bread, my groans gush forth like water, because what I feared has overwhelmed me, that which I dreaded has come upon me. I have no ease, no quiet, no rest, instead turmoil. Has come. Now my sighing takes the place of my daily bread. My groans rush forth like water. Because what I feared is overwhelming. What did he fear? Would he be afraid of losing it all? Aren't we all afraid of that? Aren't we all afraid of going without? That we would have to beg for everything? And here he is, on top of that, having a, a disease that causes all kinds of pain. He has no ease, no quiet, no rest. Complete turmoil. Now imagine you're sitting there with your friend who has suffered a devastating loss and can see nothing but darkness. What things might you say to them that would comfort him or her? What are some things you would do? Maybe you would do the approach of Job's friends, spend some time with them, Sometimes it isn't the words that we say, but just our very presence there with them. Maybe put some comments in the below, what you would, some things that you would do. What things you might say to comfort them. We had a sermon on this last Last Sunday, the question of why, the, the great, a better question than why is the name of the sermon if you want to listen to it. And 
a lot of times that's the question we ask is why? Why does this happen when tragedy happens? And there's a better question to ask. Uh, also, it's also a good reminder my um, of to reflect back on who God is and, and what he has done. My favorite psalm is Psalm 73, and Psalm 73 starts exactly that way, where the psalmist says, why, God, are you allowing the unbelievers to thrive, but the believers are having all, all kinds of problems? And he doesn't get any rest, and he gets more embittered, and uh, he doesn't get any comfort in thinking about God's justice. Instead, he gets comfort when he starts thinking about who God is and what God has promised. Uh, who, God is a God who saves him, and God is a God who has promised to save him, to be with him throughout all of his problems, and he is a, a God who promises that one day, yeah, the wicked will be judged, the unbelievers will be judged, and they will get their um, reward uh, in heaven. So, that's something we can uh, we can think about. Maybe you've got a better answer than that. Definitely, one thing that we know is that God doesn't uh, punish us. The punishment was put on Jesus. That's what Lent reminds us every year. God disciplines, but that's not the same as punishing. And uh, talk with that with the individual, and but. Who wants to hear that God's disciplining them? That's a that's a hard thing to hear. Okay, that's the first three chapters of the book of Job. I hope this was a good Bible study for you. And uh, I hopefully I'll get my technology working better as well. And uh, look forward to going through the book of Job with you. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. We ask that you continue to be uh, blessed this uh, time together so that we would have peace uh, that comes when the, the road is going up and down and all over the place. Be with all those we know, Lord, that are suffering. Help us to find the words to say and the approach to take. When it comes to those who are uh, down and out, who whose lives are not uh, not filled with all kinds of blessings, but instead filled with sorrow, help us to be um, a true friend to them and bring them Jesus, the one who can comfort them with who he is and what he has done for them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. See you next week.